In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, I'd like to take a look at some words of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We find where the Lord said, Even as I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give my life a ransom for many. The Lord here tells us what he came not to do. He did not come to be ministered unto. Now, he was ministered unto, and I want to look at that this morning. But that's not his purpose. That's not why he came. He didn't come for a selfish motive. But rather, he came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the two things Jesus came to do. As you read the four Gospels, you'll find that's exactly what he did do. Each and every day that the Lord lived here on this earth, you can find him teaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, preaching his own everlasting gospel, and healing many that were sick and had many infirmities and casting many evil spirits and devils out. That's exactly what he did every single day that was here on this earth. He said, even as I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 10, is a verse that Karen and I oftentimes will put in a thank you card. When someone has done something uh, for us or whatever, and we send them a thank you card, we usually put Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 in it. And that verse reads like this. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God is not unrighteous. That is, God is righteous. He will not forget. God sees all. He sees everything. He sees everything that we do. He knows every thought in our minds and every feeling in our hearts. And he's not unrighteous to forget that. What is he not unrighteous to forget? Your work and labor of love. He says that you've showed in his name or toward his name. It's for his glory. It's for his honor and for his praise. Not for us to be commended, but again, in thanksgiving, to show that we love the Lord and we want to manifest that in this manner, in this way. And that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You've done it in the past. He says you're doing it presently. Now, last Sunday, we spoke to you on the life of Mary Magdalene. Her life was a life of ministering. We read in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, where there were a number of women. And Mary Magdalene, whom the Lord cast out seven devils, headed the list of these women. There was Joanna, there was Susanna, and many others. We don't know how many others. But as we read in other portions, there must have been a lot of them. In fact, if you go to the 16th chapter of the book of Mark, you'll find where Mary Magdalene and several other sisters were standing afar off and they were beholding the things concerning the, the Savior as he went through his trial and then his crucifixion. And it says they followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem, which would be at least 80 miles, somewhere between the 80 and 100 mile distance from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It says ministering to him of their substance. So this is the second time we're told what they were doing. Now, there's no record of Mary Magdalene having a husband, any children, or family. Obviously, she had a family when she was born and, and grew up in Magdala, 
That's uh, that little town on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. But after the Lord cast out those seven devils in thanksgiving and her a desire to adore and, and to worship him and to follow him as a disciple, she and these other sisters, these other women, ministered unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I think the ministering here most likely was physical. It was most likely temporal. It was things that they stood in need of. Uh, they had a bag. Judas carried the bag, and there were things that were put into that bag that were given unto them. And from that bag, they were able to buy their necessities. And I think from that bag, they also took some out to help the poor along the way. So they ministered unto him of their substance. So that's that aspect of ministry. But I'm going to look at two other women this morning. All three of these women go by the name of Mary, and they all minister to the Lord in some special manner, some special way. The name Mary um, is a very unique name from the standpoint of, it, of its meaning. It actually means bitterness. It means sorrow. It means trials or troubles and tribulations. Um, a lot of people don't realize what the, the name means, but it's the number one name of, uh, that's given to women throughout the world, especially in so-called Christian nations. But here in America, it's the number one name. We find that name used in the Old Testament in a couple of different places that bear this out. If you go to the book of Ruth, you'll find where Naomi and her husband had gone down to the land of Moab, leaving the land of Bethlehem, Judah. While she was down there, her husband died, and her two daughters, excuse me, her two sons married two uh, women in Moab, and then her two sons died. But eventually she had heard how the Lord had visited his family back in Bethlehem, Judah, and she had a desire to return and did. Now, we find one stayed back, but Ruth followed her. And when she got there, they recognized her and acknowledged her as Naomi. But she says, call me not Naomi. She says, but call me Mara, which means bitterness and sorrow. She says, I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. She had some bitter experiences over in the land of Moab. While she was in Moab, her husband died. Her two sons died. Uh, that word Moab means scarcity. It means uh, empty, void. By contrast to Bethlehem, Judah, it's a picture, you might say, of the gospel church here, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the world in which we live here. When Israel was delivered out of the land of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and shortly after doing that, they came to a place called Marah, which means bitter. And there was, some, there was some water there, and they were thirsty, and they tried to drink it, but they could not because of the bitterness of it. And that's when the Lord directed Moses to cast a tree down into the water. And when the tree went into the water, that bitter water was made sweet. Now, Jesus makes a lot of things sweet that otherwise would be very bitter, doesn't he? Even in our trials and tribulations, like the Hebrew children, when they're in that fiery furnace, uh, I can't imagine a more severe trial or affliction or whatever to come upon somebody. And yet we find when the king looked in, he put three in, but he saw four. And the fourth was like the Son of God. And the four were walking around. They were interacting. They were having fellowship in that fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal. And yet their clothes were not burned off. The hair of their head was not singed. The only thing burned off was the ropes that had tied their hands together and their feet. They were burned off where they could have the liberty of walking around one with another. The Lord made a, a place of, of, of fiery affliction, a place of sweet fellowship, didn't he? 
And the Lord can do that for you. And the Lord can do that for me in this present day. So the Lord said, I came not to be ministering to, but to minister. And to give my life a ransom for many. Now, those who were not here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to go on the website and, and listen to the sermon last Sunday concerning Mary Magdalene and how that she ministered to the Lord along with many others and how she was rewarded at the end of her life. At the end of her life, she is the first one to see an empty tomb. She's the first one to see a resurrected Christ. She's the first one to hear the words that come from the lips of a resurrected Savior. She's the first one to carry the good news and glad tidings about an empty tomb and a resurrected Christ to the disciples. And the last thing we see in Mary Magdalene's life in John chapter 20, when she got to the disciples, the Bible says that she told them, I have seen the Lord. And I don't know anything any greater to me in my life than I can just tell somebody, uh, you know, I have seen the Lord today. And I try to see the Lord every day. I try to see him uh, in his providence. I try to see him in all that uh, I experience on a daily basis. I see him in his mercy. I see him in his grace. I see him in his love. And I want to tell people, I, I've seen the Lord. That's worth seeing. A lot of things are, are interesting to see in the world, but nothing could possibly compare to you and I seeing the Lord in our trials and seeing the Lord in our afflictions, seeing the Lord in his delivering hand in our life, in his directing hand, his guiding hand, his delivering hand. Uh, you want to be able to say that. And what a blessing it is to say, I have seen the Lord today. That's the last thing we read about Mary Magdalene. Oh, how she was blessed. But she was a blessing to the Lord. While the Lord came not to minister unto, but to minister, didn't mean he wasn't ministered unto. He was. But that's not why he came. That was not his purpose. He didn't come for people to wait on him. He come to wait on people. He's the perfect example of what a servant is all about, you see. So we take a look at another Mary. Let's take a look at his mother. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose husband was Joseph. Now, so much can be said about her this morning, but I want to just take a few snapshots of her as we move along here. Because Mary, I believe, was probably as good a mother as ever lived upon the face of this earth. The Lord did not just uh, accidentally choose her. The Lord chose her based upon his sovereign will, his sovereign pleasure. You come over to the second chapter in the book of Luke, and you'll find where uh, the writer's been talking about uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, and then it just stops at that point and says, And God sent an angel named Gabriel six months down the road, an angel with the name of Gabriel to a town called Nazareth. And in that town of Nazareth was this woman named Mary. Now Mary didn't volunteer for this. She didn't win some kind of contest to be selected by the Lord. We see here an example of God's sovereignty. Why did God choose Mary? It was his purpose to do so. Had he not chosen Mary, we never would have heard of Mary. But because he chose Mary, uh, Mary is probably the most famous <laughs> woman to ever live upon the face of this earth. He chose Mary according to his own sovereign pleasure, his own sovereign will, and according to divine wisdom. Now you can be rest assured, Jesus, uh, God would not have chosen a woman uh, that was less in quality, you might say, than what Mary was. Mary was a virgin, but Mary was also virtuous. In Proverbs chapter um, 30, verse 10, 
The Bible says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. But if you notice there in reading the verses after that, this is a married woman who has children, but she was still a virtuous woman. See, a person uh, can be a virgin and not be virtuous. Or a person can be virtuous, a woman can be virtuous and not a virgin. But Mary was a virgin and she was also virtuous. Look in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're all told to put on something. We're all told to add something. And what we're told to add is virtue. There are seven things we're told to add to the faith that God gives us as his free and sovereign great, uh, gift. You do not have faith until you're born of the Spirit. So when people tell you all you got to do is exercise faith and have faith, you can't exercise what you don't have. You cannot uh, do something what you do not have, and the unregenerate person does not have faith inside. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells that church, for all men have not faith. By nature, you didn't have faith. You have faith today. It's because you have a new nature, divine nature, that God gave you regeneration. So you don't add that. That comes into your heart and in your life by the free and sovereign grace of God when he quickened you and made you alive in Christ. But there are some things we're to add, and there's seven of them. And the very first one is virtue. We're to add that to the faith that God has given us. Mary was a virgin. Mary was virtuous. Mary was a godly woman. And I want to look at just a few ways that she ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ in a, maybe a different way than Mary Magdalene did. First of all, she gave birth to this child. She carried this child about nine months like women, generally speaking, do. There was nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unusual about that aspect. But when the news came from Gabriel to her, Gabriel told her this. He told her three things. He says, you have uh, found favor with God, and the Lord is with you, and you're blessed among women. Notice those three things. You found favor with God. Uh, the Lord has blessed you. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed among women. He did not say you're blessed above women, but he says you're blessed among women. There were other women that were blessed, but she was blessed among women in a very unique and very special way. Then the angel says, uh, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and thou shalt conceive and bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now Mary questioned how this could be, and here's what the Lord said. He said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest, and that's spelled with a capital H, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look at that verse one more time. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest. It's going to take the power of the highest. Why didn't it say the power of God? That had been true. But he said the power of the highest because this power has got to come from the highest source of power that there is, which is God. But it's spelled with a capital H. He's the highest of the high. The power of the high shall overshadow thee, and that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's the message of Gabriel. Now, how did Mary respond to that? She says, let it be according, she said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. When you notice some of the expressions that Mary used about herself, you'll see great humility. And you will see somebody who felt very little about their own self. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. The word handmaid literally means a servant, a slave. Behold thy handmaid. 
The Lord sent that angel down to a town called Nazareth, not to the city of Jerusalem. You thought, well, maybe he sent it to Jerusalem. That's the city of God. That's where the temple of God is. That's where he put his name. He didn't choose the city of Jerusalem. He chose a little inconsiderate town called Nazareth uh, that was looked upon uh, with contempt. In John chapter 1, you'll find where Nathaniel finds, excuse me, Philip finds Nathaniel. It says to Nathaniel, Behold, we have found him whom Moses and the law spoke about, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, What good thing could come out of Nazareth? So why wouldn't Jesus, uh, why would God choose a, a town like Nazareth? Why would he choose a little peasant woman that uh, was espoused to a carpenter and they were very poor? Why would he do that? Well, I don't have all the answers to that, but I have one over here found in uh, Matthew chapter five, 11 and uh, verse 28. It said, for even, for even it seemed good in thy sight, O Lord. That's why he did it. It was good in his sight to do it. And then in Isaiah chapter 55, it says, For my ways are not your ways, and my um, thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. God doesn't think like I think, and his ways are not my ways. But God chose a, a, a town that I never would have chosen. He chose a woman I probably never would have chosen. He chooses a very poor woman. Why did he not choose uh, uh, the daughter of a prominent person in Jerusalem, a wealthy person in Jerusalem, a well-known person in Jerusalem? He didn't do that. He chose an unknown person that we would know nothing about, except the Bible gives us a lot of details. He chose a peasant woman, a poor woman, a spouse to a man who was barely eking out a living being a carpenter. That's who he chose to bring forth his son here into this world. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. This is a miraculous, unique event uh, concerning the Redeemer. This is how he came into this world. He would have to be born of a woman. He'd have to be the son of God, becoming the son of man, but he couldn't have a sinful nature. Therefore, his conception was not by human seed. His conception was by the Holy Ghost. That's why he was sinless, uh, holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners during his 33 and a half years here in this world. So this is the kind of woman. When Mary brought him forth, she had to nurse him. When Mary brought him forth, she had to feed him. When Mary brought him forth, she had to clothe him. When Mary brought him forth, she had to protect him. Now, Joseph was involved in some of this, and some of this he was not. Mary ministered to her child, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the time that she carried him in her womb and she brought him forth into this world. See, a lot of times I think it's kind of hard for us to, to consider the fact that God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, one time was a little baby in some mother's arms. He was a baby in Simeon's arms there in Luke chapter 2. And that there was a time when she had to take him by the hand and help him to take his first steps. Can you think about that? had to help Jesus take his first steps. And then when Jesus was able to walk, she began to train him in the things she, a good mother would train their children in. And one thing I want you to see here this morning is that she did what Paul tells husbands to do and fathers to do in Ephesians chapter 6, to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture means tutelage. The word tutelage indicates teaching. You know, we're, you know what a tutor is. A tutor is helping somebody to learn. So we're to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that's exactly what she did. She had the Old Testament law at her fingertips and knew something about it. She had to take him by the hand. She had to train him in so many different ways. But there is one thing I will say to you about it. 
He never gave her any problems. He never gave her any trouble. He's the only perfect child to ever live, regardless of what people tell you about their children. There's only been one perfect, sinless uh, child to walk here on this earth, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may have raised a child that you thought was faultless, but please don't tell me you raised a sinless child. I know I've had four of them, and my children are no worse than yours. <laughs> Most of the time. But anyway, uh, we raised four children trying to help those four children raise 11 grandchildren. <laughs> so it's a challenge, isn't it? But children are children. They have the same nature you have, and you have to teach them to do right. You have to tell, teach them to tell the truth, etc. Mary never had to teach Jesus to tell the truth. He was truth personified. She never had to do that kind of teaching for him because he was a son of God, became the son of man, and he had a sinless nature. He lived the perfect life, therefore a perfect offering sacrifice 33 and a half years later down the road. But she ministered that child the way every good mother needs to minister to a child that God blesses her to bring forth into this world. When Jesus, let's go to, uh, go to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, you're going to find where she was a godly woman. She was a God-fearing woman. And she was devoted to keeping the law of Moses that God had given the children of Israel. You'll find after eight days he was circumcised. That's according to the law of Moses. And then, according to the days of purification, she's going to bring him to the temple. That's according to the law of the Lord found in uh, Leviticus chapter 12. If a woman brought forth a male child, after seven days he was circumcised on the eighth day, and then she had a period of time of 33 days of purification. If it was a, uh, a female child, uh, then she was considered to be unclean for two weeks, and then there was a 66-day period of time for purification. So this is the case. She's her firstborn son. He's circumcised on day eight. Then after 33 days of purification, she comes to the temple according to the law of the Lord. Mary and Joseph walked according to the law of the Lord. They brought up that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord according to the very law that his father in heaven had given to the nation of Israel. Then she brings him into the temple because there's something else has got to happen there. There's got to be an offering made. And she brings him into the temple to make an offering and she offers, uh, her and Joseph offer turtle doves, which tells me that they lived in poverty. That was a poor man's offering. If you didn't have a lamb, then you could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. She offered, her and Joseph offered two turtle doves. That tells me again about the poverty this family had. And while in the temple, there's a man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon's going to be blessed because revealed unto him. He should not see death till he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he picks up the Lord and Jesus Christ, a little baby, in his arms. And he says, now let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And then... Of course, I always like to think about this as Simeon was holding the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was holding Simeon from the standpoint of his covenant relationship. And then Simeon said something unto Mary. Said several things, but I just want this one thing. Said unto Mary, a sword shall pierce through thy soul. Now about 33 years later on the cross, a sword's going to pierce through the side of her son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But a sword began to pierce through her soul on numerous occasions prior to that occasion. In that same second ch uh, chapter of Luke, you're going to find where, again, according to the law, they come down to Jerusalem to carry out what the law 
uh, instructed them to do in terms of their offerings and sacrifices, etc. And when all things were accomplished according to the law, they left. And about a day later, they realize that Jesus is not with them. When they do not find him among, you know, their stuff and the people there, they return back to Jerusalem to try to find him, and it's three days before they find him. Can you imagine what was going through her heart? And Joseph, of course. Can you imagine, uh, have you ever just temporarily lost your child for five minutes? And you look around, they're not there. And what goes through your mind and through your heart for about five minutes? It's not pleasant, is it? It is not pleasant at all. And it's going to take them three days to find out where he's at. But they found him right where they should have looked in the very beginning in the house of God. They found him in the temple. And they were amazed when they found him. As a 12-year-old boy, he's sitting in the midst of the doctors and lawyers asking and answering questions. I'm sure he answered every question they had, and I doubt they hardly answered anything he asked. And then Mary speaks up. She said, what hast thou done to us? <laughs> thy father and I have been sorry for thee. <laughs> you can imagine how she felt. Have you ever uh, been, uh, you know, missed somebody for a little while? And oh, how your heart is ringing uh, with stress and everything else. And then when you finally find them, you want to really get after them. <laughs> Once you know they're safe and sound, all of a sudden all that concern you had for them is replaced by, boy, wait till you get home. <laughs> you ever had a parent tell you that? Oh, I, I didn't want to go home then. My dad always followed up. He told the truth. He didn't lie to me about those things. And then the Lord said unto him, Wish ye not, I must be about my father's business, pale with a capital F. They didn't find him in a work, work, uh, workshop. They didn't find him in the carpenter's shop, building things. They got back three days later. They found him in the temple in the father's house, going about the father's business. Here's a little glimpse of what Mary's beginning to understand. There's going to come a time that there's going to be a separation here. She pondered these things in her heart. I move over to John chapter 2, and you're going to find where Mary is invited to a wedding in Cana. And Jesus invited, and disciples are also invited. And they're there, and Mary tells the Lord, she says, they have no wine. Now, why would she tell Jesus that? She, she, she just didn't pass that along to, for conversation. She said it for a reason. Mary understood that he was the son of God. She understood that he had the power to do miracles, but he has not done one yet. She says, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what hast thou to do with me? So my time has not yet come. In other words, the Lord is telling her now, I've been subject unto you perfectly. There's never been a child any more subject to his parents than Jesus was. I can assure you that. But now the time has come that she needs to be subject unto him. He was her son and is her son, but he's left the house now at the age of 30. And now she, as his son, needs to be subject unto him. But the Lord did tell, and this here's what she said to the disciples, that whatsoever he saith, you do it. In other words, be subject unto him. So he tells them to take six uh, water pots there, and fill it up with water and pour it out. Water went in, but wine came out. He turned the water into wine. This is the first miracle that Jesus performed. 
and said, at this point, his glory began to be manifested. Now it's time for his glory to be manifested. Now has, ar- has arised as he does this first miracle. But I wonder what Mary thought when he addressed her, not as mother, but as, excuse me, as Mary, but as a woman. He didn't say mother, didn't say Mary. He said woman. That was not being disrespectful to the Lord. But Jesus began to let her know, you know, I'm going about my father's business. We come over to the 12th chapter in the book of Matthew. And you'll find where the Lord was speaking to the people. And they came to him and says, thy mother and thy brothers and sisters are without and want to speak with you. The Lord Jesus Christ responded like this. He says, who is my mother and my brethren? And he looked out at the people out there and he said, Behold my mother and my brothers and my sisters, for whosoever doeth the will of my heavenly Father, the same as my mother and my brothers and my sisters. He's teaching us that spiritual relationships supersede and overcome natural relationships. He wasn't being disrespectful. They came to see him. But he let them know there that from a spiritual point of view, that's even greater than a natural perspective. Now, I'm, I'm very blessed in many different ways, but my wife is sitting out in the congregation. But when I'm preaching, I just see her as another um, person in the congregation from that point of view. I may get in trouble here. I better reword that maybe. But anyway, what I mean to tell you is I see her as a sister in Christ. Uh, I try to miss her as a sister in Christ. I got family here. I got sons and grandchildren here, but in the house of the Lord and Jesus Christ, in his church and in his kingdom, they're on the same level as everybody else. We have a spiritual relationship that supersedes our natural relationship. And that's what the Lord is teaching unto Mary. Mary has ministered to the Lord as best she could for a long time. But now another Mary is taken over by Mary Magdalene. It's Mary Magdalene now is doing for Jesus what his mother could not do. His mother didn't have additional monies. His mother didn't have additional resources, but Mary Magdalene did. So Mary Magdalene takes over, so to speak. Mary has raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the standpoint of teaching him and feeding him and clothing him and loving him. <laughs> There were things that Mary could not give Jesus. She couldn't give him wealth. She had none to give. She just gave him, the, she gave him something far better than that. She gave him love. She gave him a home. Um, she gave him uh, an example to follow after in keeping the law of Moses. She gave what she had as she ministered to her son. Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And her, his mother ministered unto him, probably I'm sure is perfectly as any mother's ever done throughout the history of mankind. She was chosen for a reason. God knew all about this woman. He knew her devotion, what her devotion would be. He knew what her love and compassion was going to be. I'm sure there were many times that Mary took Jesus in her arms and and spoke loving and kind words unto him and embraced him and made him feel like, yes, I have a mother and I have a home. That's something a lot of children do, do not experience. And then we come to John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, we find where it says, Mary stood by the cross. She didn't fall down by the cross. She stood by the cross. She's silent. She says not a word. I want you to think about that just for a moment. She stands silent, not saying a word, looking up at that cross into the face of her son that's just been crucified. Contrast that with the face of her son that she first saw when she brought him forth in birth. 
when he was born and placed in her arms. And she holds the Son of God and she looks into the Son of God's face. And it's her son also. And she sees that lovely face. Oh, how her heart must have been swelled with joy and happiness as she'd been blessed to bring forth this firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But that's not the case now. 33 years down the road, she's standing by a cross. She's witnessed the democracy. She's witnessed uh, the ridicule, the criticisms. She's witnessed the sufferings of her son. That sword is piercing her side. And she looks up to that up to that cross, and there he is. And now they see, she sees the soldiers come and pierce his side with the sword. But God gave him a godly mother, a devoted mother, a God-fearing mother. He gave him what he stood in need of to come in this world as his beloved son. Let's take a look at another Mary. Let's take a look at Mary of Bethany. We're going to take a look at three scenes in the life of Mary of Bethany and see how she ministered to the Lord in another little bit different way than Mary Magdalene did and Mary the mother of Jesus did. We first read about her in the last part of Luke chapter 10 where the Lord is in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus is not mentioned right here, just Mary and Martha. And this is a very familiar story, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus befriended the Lord Jesus Christ. They reached out to the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave hospitality to the Lord Jesus Christ when people in general did not. And he's in that house. And where do we find Mary? We find Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In every scene of Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. That's the best place you could possibly be in this life, is always be at the feet of Jesus. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's hearing his words, saying nothing. I want you to notice this. No words are spoken by Mary. She's just sitting and listening. Oh, how we'd all be a lot better off if we could just understand it's far better to listen than it is to talk. James says we'd be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And most people are uh, swift to speak and swift to wrath and slow to hear. But he says the opposite. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Proverbs says, even a fool, if he keeps his mouth quiet, looks like a wise man. <laughs> what, what gives him away? His speech. <laughs> when he opens his mouth and starts to talk, it reveals what he really is. Mary didn't say anything. She's sitting here as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, listening to the words of the Savior. She's hungry for the words. Oh, it reminds me of Psalms 42.1. As the heart, H-A-R-T, as the heart thirsteth after the water brooks, so thirsteth my soul after thee, O God. He says, just like that heart, which be kind of comfortable with our deer, thirst after the water brooks. The deer must come down to the streams. The deer must uh, reach down and begin to take the water in. They get thirsty like everybody else. As the heart thirsteth after the water brook, so thirsteth my soul after thee, O God. How thirsty is my soul this day is an important question. How thirsty is your soul? If it is, why are you coming to have that thirst quenched? Should be at the feet of Jesus to hear his word. Um, Karen and I went out to a yard sale couple days ago there in the neighborhood they have one once a year and everybody has it on the same two days and we're looking at uh I couldn't hardly get Karen to go with me and then I couldn't hardly get her away (laughs) 
It beating thing I've ever seen. I had to finally pull her away. But anyway, that's a little side information. Anyhow, we're at this house here, and she's looking around, picking up a few little items. And there's a box, and it's got two Bibles in it. I pick up one. It's a real old Bible. Uh, Collins was the publisher. That caught my interest. Collins used to make, uh, uh, was a very popular publisher of Bibles back in the 60s and 70s. Then it was bought out by World, etc. And I was looking at it. She said, oh, by the way, uh, the Bibles are free. I said, well, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. And there's another lady standing by that lady. And she says to that lady, she says, you need to read it. <laughs> and the lady's kind of taken off guard. And she, uh, she says, well, I, she said, I can't understand it. It's just too hard. I looked at her, I said, just give me Genesis 1-1. Quote me Genesis 1-1, please. She couldn't do it. I said, in the beginning, God created. <laughs> she never could get it out. But I thought about that when I left. Now, here, here's a woman who readily admits she doesn't read the Bible because she thinks it's too hard. She, she can't understand it. Why do you think God had the Bible written the way he had it? It requires a little effort. <laughs> it requires some, some thoughtfulness, some dedication, some interest, some hunger, some thirst. He didn't write it for the world in general to understand. He wrote it for his little children here in this world that would come to him depending upon him and asking him, give me understanding of thy word. In John 16, 33, the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples, he says, these words I speak unto you that in me you might have peace. So what is she going to miss out? She doesn't read the word of God. She's not going to have the peace the word of God brings her. She's not going to have the comfort the word of God brings her. She's not going to understand that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. She's not going to understand any detail, any truth that he is the Son of God, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. She's not going to understand many things, avert many important subjects in this life, both in the church and also even uh, subjects that uh, go outside the church. If you don't read it, you're not going to know and understand it. I wonder how many of God's people are just like that. About a week ago, um, I was playing pickleball. And uh, me and this lady were waiting uh, to get into the next game. And she says to me, she says, what do you do since you retired? Wonder how she thought I was retired. I don't know. But <laughs> I explained to her I wasn't retired, just tired. And then I pastored a church. Told her what church I pastored. She says, well, you know, she says, I'm, I'm a Catholic. And this is a middle-aged woman. She's got two children, 13 years old, two twins. Very nice lady. She said, I'm a Catholic, but I don't know anything they believe. She said, I was raised in the Catholic church. I'm just telling you what she told me. I was raised in the Catholic church. My mother's Catholic. And I told the other day, I just told her, I said, I don't know what we believe and what we stand for. All her life, she's been raised in that church. She doesn't know. And I told her, I said, it reminds me of the story where somebody asked the young man what he believed. And he says, well, uh, I believe what my church believes. Then what does your church believe? Well, my church believes what I believe. What do you and your church believe? We believe the same thing. 
She got a chuckle out of that. <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted. And yet I already knew, I believe the vast majority, high percentage of God's people do not read the Word of God. If they read the Word of God and studied the Word of God, we'd have folding chairs out here. Oh, that's why I try to encourage you the best I can. There's one thing you can say about Brother Lawrence. I do believe you can say he tried to encourage us to read the Word of God. The daily Bible reading has been put out there for a number of years now. I try my best to encourage you to, to read it, to study it. There's, there's just jewels out there that needs to be uncovered, and you can do it. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear his words. And then the next scene we find of Mary is found in John chapter 11 when her brother Lazarus has died. And then the Lord, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff here, but anyway, the Lord winds up on the scene. And Martha meets him first, said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then the Lord uh, teaches her about the resurrection. He is the resurrection, the way and the life. And then she goes and she gets Mary and says, The Master calleth for thee, wants to see you. When Mary heard that, the Bible says she arose quickly and came to Jesus because she had said he wanted to see her. And when she got there, she likewise fell down at his feet and began to weep. We see her at the feet of Jesus now, not as a disciple, but now we see her as a worshiper. She's at the feet of Jesus as she's weeping. Those tears move the Lord and Jesus Christ to where we find the shortest verse in God's Word. It says, and Jesus wept. And then Jesus proceeded to raise the body of Lazarus from the grave. Then we come to the third scene. It's found in the next chapter, chapter 12, but you also find it in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. You need to put them all together. And you find where Mary, who's in the house of Simon the leper, and I want you to uh, think about this a minute. You got Martha, you got Mary, you got Lazarus, you got the disciples, you got at least 15 people here. And Martha, once again, she's doing the serving, but no complaining this time. And while they're all sitting around the table in the house of Simon the leper, and by the way, this is Simon the leper who had leprosy that Jesus took away from him. If you had leprosy, you were known as a person that was uh, among the walking dead. That, that was what you, uh, that's what you had. You had a disease that you referred to as the walking dead. But now you see the Lord has delivered him from the walking dead. He's no longer among the walking dead. He's among the living. And while they're all sitting around the table, we find Mary takes a very precious alabaster box of ointment, very costly, the Bible says, and she broke it. And the Bible says she anointed the head and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with this very precious ointment, and the fragrance filled the house. Old Judas Iscariot looked at that and complained. You know, no good indeed goes unpunished. You know that, right? And here the Lord, here Mary has done something very admirable, very commendable, and Judas on the sidelines complaining about it. He says, well, this could be sold for 300 pence. That was almost a year's wages. She'd been saving up and saving up and saving up. She had something worth almost a year's wages, and now she's going to break that alabaster box of ointment, and she's going to take that that was worth 300 pence and on the head and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord defended Mary and rebuked Satan. Uh, Judas, well, he, he was Satan. <laughs> anyway, and it's interesting, the word waste literally means perdition. The son of perdition used a word that means perdition. He looked at it as waste. The Lord told them, he says, this woman is knowing my body for my burying. No doubt Mary heard a lot from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning why he came to this world about his sufferings and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the salvation of his people. And she comes and anoints his body before he dies. Jesus got to smell the fragrance of that ointment while he's living. He couldn't have done that after he died. You've heard people say, well, you need to give compliments while people are living, not after they die. I totally agree with that. You got something to say to somebody in a very favorable way, say it to them now. Let them hear it. <laughs> He's not going to hear it in the casket. You got opportunity now while you're living to do the things to minister unto God's children, you see. He says, she's done this for my, bur for my burial. She hath done what she could. If every single one of us could do what we could, can you imagine how much we would do? <laughs> I know I'm not doing all I can do. I don't think any of you here could raise your hand and say, oh, I'm doing all I can do all right, Brother Lawrence. I doubt that. <laughs> if we all did what we couldn't do and put it all together, can you imagine what would be done? Then he says under to him, he says, from this point forward, wheresoever the gospel is preached, this shall be a memorial for this woman. Here's how she ministered to the Lord. She ministered her love to the Lord. It reminds me of David in 2 Samuel chapter 24, in the end of that chapter, in the end of that book. There was a plague that had taken place due to uh, David's... Um, transgression against the Lord. And for that plague to be stayed, he was going to have to make an offering and a sacrifice. And he goes to a certain man to buy a threshing floor where he can erect an altar, make an offering and a sacrifice. And the man's willing to give it to him. He says, it's just yours. You can have it. And David says, no. He says, I will not make an offering to my Lord that costs me nothing. So he bought the threshing floor and he bought the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, I believe. I have it right. And then he made an offering, sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord accepted it, and the Lord received it. David would not do it if it cost him nothing. Here's a woman who ministered to the Lord something very valuable, very costly, about a year's wages. And the Lord defended her for 20 centuries. This has been one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. The Lord used three Marys, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Mary of Bethany to minister to the Lord in different ways, some outwardly and physically, some inwardly and spiritually. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? He knows he's got a short time before going to Calvary, but here's a little lady, and she's taking something very costly, and she has broken it, and she's anointing my, his head and, and then his feet all the way down, showing her love and her devotion, her adoration for him. Can you imagine how that made him feel? How the encouragement that must have given to the Savior. He was a son of God, but never forget, he was a son of man. And he had feelings and emotions, just like you do, and just like I do. He could feel pain and sorrow, but he could also feel love and kindness and, and compassion. And that's what he's seeing her. 
in closing here this morning, when she said at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, she acknowledged him and recognized him as the prophet. When she fell at his feet weeping there in John 11 at the grave of her brother Lazarus, she acknowledged and recognized him as a great high priest that could sympathize with her. And when she anointed his head and his feet with oil, that very precious box of uh, alabaster box of ointment, she recognized and acknowledged him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. She recognized him as prophet, priest, and king. She ministered in the best way she knew how, and with what she had, she did what she could. I need to strive harder to do what I can. You know, there was a man told, preached a friend of mine one years ago, he said, he was a very wealthy man. He said, oh, I I wish I had enough money to send these 10 children over here, these 10 uh, people uh, to to college and give them all a, 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 you know, scholarship and give them all an education, but I I can't send 10. A preacher friend said, well, can you send one? (laughs) Yeah, he could have sent one because he couldn't send 10. He wasn't sending anybody. Can you send one? (laughs) Yes. Let's do what we can. Let's remember the words of our Savior who set the example. For I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. May we be be minister like Mary, the mother of Jesus, ministered to him. May we minister like Mary Magdalene ministered unto him. And may we minister like Mary of Bethany ministered unto him. All three of these great examples all went by the name of Mary.